From BYU Broadcasting's Performance Studio, this is Highway 89. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. When you talk music, everyone wants to know... What's next? What's the next great act, the next great piece of music, the next big thing? Our guests today actually are what's next. In fact, they're called the Next Ensemble here from Ogden, Utah, and they're known for performing classical music with a twist. They play in a way that's not formal or stuffy and in some very unexpected venues. In addition, they have some very socially aware goals that have not much to do with music, but everything to do with making the world a better place. We'll talk about all of that and hear a great variety of music from classical to minimalist. For this performance, the next ensemble is violinist Gabriel Gordon and Elisa Krebs, Stacey Armstrong, viola, Austin Packer, cellist, Ryan Bell, bass, and Cindy Child, clarinet. After the events of 9-11 in New York City, acclaimed conductor Leonard Bernstein said, This shall be our reply to violence, to make music more intensely, more beautifully, more devotedly than ever before. From that, a notion was born of an ensemble that exists for the express purpose of bringing people together in the face of adversity and tragedy and to help those in need. The next ensemble. Here is the first movement of the clarinet quintet in A major by Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Thank you. 
coming to you live from our performance studio at BYU Broadcasting. This is Highway 89. We've just heard the next ensemble performing the first movement of clarinet quintet in A major. Mozart, the composer, Cindy Child, clarinetist. We're speaking with Gabriel Gordon. He's the artistic director of the Next Ensemble. And first of all, what a great name. Was there any other group called this? No, uh, but if you Google uh, Next Ensemble, probably the first thing you'll see is a group in California that deals in clothing called Your Next Ensemble. And I thought that was kind of funny <laughs> so when not, we chose it. but Not a musical. I, I like that because we are looking for something that's next. And you seem to have no problem with totally divorcing this music of the concert hall from the concert hall. Yeah, the concert hall itself is actually relatively new. Concerts were given in salons and in many, many different places for many years before the big concert halls came about. For instance, even in clubs. That's right. And we, we were looking online at your website, some nice contemporary places in downtown Ogden and... Uh, so is it the same audience? Is it a totally different audience that might have come to hear a, a chamber concert before? Well, our goal is actually to get all the people that are interested in chamber music as well as the people who might be a little intimidated about going to a concert hall and might feel a little bit more relaxed going to a club and really transforming the concert experience mm. in that way. So I was really intrigued that you don't even mind if people eat while you're playing in some of these. I mean, that's usually the worst <laughs> gig know. for a musician is I'm playing while, while the dishes are clanking and everything. But you're, you're, you've decided to be okay with that. We're okay with it, you know, as long as it doesn't interfere with the music itself. And very often it doesn't. It's it really people mind themselves enough so that they, you know, and, and they're interested enough in, in the music that, that they, don't, they don't make that much noise. And I think people forget, actually, that going to the opera was one of the noisiest things you could ever do. When you went to the opera, you got fed food, and generally you actually didn't listen very much to the music. You actually were there to be seen. <laughs> going and, on in the background, exactly. like we use TV these days. Exactly. That's well, <laughs> that's why the overture actually starts with a very loud chord to let everybody know that <laughs> it's time to start. Finish your hot wings. We're getting ready to play. Exactly. <laughs> and that's how concerts were for many, many years. And we wanted to get away with that and just be more welcoming. Something else you're doing is being flexible as to the personnel. For instance, today we have a string quartet plus a bass and a clarinet. But what else might you do? Well, we have done everything from one person soloing. As a matter of fact, our concert on October 7th, the first of the season, is going to begin with a solo horn mm. and end up with the Brahms Horn Trio. We've done things as big as the ensemble that you're hearing now, and we've even gone as far as uh, 20 people in an ensemble. Nice. Yeah. Well, we're going to hear a piece by Philip Glass. Mm. He's not from the same era as Mozart. No. And so when you're performing and you're introducing in between pieces, what would you say to prepare people for this piece, for instance? Well, and now for something completely different is probably okay. what I would start with. <laughs> then I would talk about Philip Glass as the great American composer uh, and that he wrote this particular piece as a string quartet to accompany an incredible play by Sam Beckett called Company, which is not as well known as some of his other plays. Hmm. 
the string quartet itself is actually people think they hear company and they they say oh i wonder what that's from they know the quartet actually better than the play this is it's a string quartet we'll actually hear five players of the bass is doubling the cello on this work by philip glass here is the string quartet played by five players company Thank you. 
string quartet known as Company by Philip Glass. We've just heard the next ensemble performing here live in studio. We'll be speaking in just a moment with Gabriel Gordon, the artistic director. And I wanted to ask you, Gabriel, you used this quote. You said this was kind of a motivation that we used at the beginning of Leonard Bernstein, that our reply to violence was to make music more intensely, more beautifully than before. Tell me about this event that you participated in. Oh, yeah. So I was living in northern Jersey on September 11th, 2001, and uh, had a rather good view, unfortunately, Mm. of the events that occurred. All I wanted to do was get in my car and go there and help, and there was nothing I could do. Mm -hmm. The, The bridges and the tunnels were closed, and everybody was required to go back and get off the streets. And, and I went home and I just sat there and felt helpless. I sat at my desk and said, okay, I have to do something about this. My reply to this violence was to put together a concert um, for humanity, which is what we called it eventually. Mm. And on October 13th, 2001, we performed Beethoven's Ninth Symphony for over a thousand people at the Ocean Grove Great Auditorium and raised over $30,000 for the Red Cross. Wow. There are people who I've only performed with once at that time who I am still friends with, who still talk about this incredible experience. And yes, it was attached to this great American tragedy, and that's a part of it. But also, it had to do with making music for that purpose. And ever since that time, I've always wanted to start an organization that had a purpose besides just giving music, but also giving other things. And you've carried that through with the next ensemble. And I understand you have a brand new partner that you're focusing on this year. So tell us about that. Yes. um, Youth Impact is a wonderful organization in Ogden that provides a safe place for children who are um, in, in crisis and gives them a place where they can get counseling, where they can have a place to stay, perhaps a bite to eat, and takes those children and brings them the comfort and the things that they need really a substantial portion of any receipts that you have from ticket sales, like the majority of that, actually, from what I've read, actually goes to these causes. Yes. when Last year, when we were One Heart Worldwide was our beneficiary, uh, we donated $10 of every $15 ticket went to One Heart Worldwide, and we uh, raised a significant amount of money for them. You know, there have been some organizations that uh, some have, have gotten a lot of Attention like the Western Eastern Divan Orchestra that had people from all over the Mediterranean area, especially the Middle East, and combined people who normally on the street would not mix. Yes. Because of their language, their nationality, their religion. Well, even more than that, that orchestra is made up of Palestinians and Israelis, as well as Egyptians and Iranians. But the story that really makes me think about what music is capable of is the story about the concert that they performed, a Beethoven concert, where they were performing at the same time as quite literally their brothers and sisters were killing their each other. Their actual brothers and Their actual, actual brothers and sisters were at war at that particular moment while they were performing together. Of course, there was tension 
of course, there were feelings and of course, there were bad moments. What is significant to me is that those people who could have been enemies at that particular moment decided to come to one place and agree and agree to play Beethoven and agree to play Beethoven in a certain way on an extremely high artistic level. Can you imagine what would happen if Congress acted that way? <laughs> you need to have, send them all an instrument. Gabriel. Something, yeah. <laughs> you know, start practicing. <laughs> or, or the UN, or if there there is a way for people to conduct themselves so that they can come into the same room and okay, I don't have to like you, I don't have to like your values, I don't have to like a lot of things about you, but I can agree with you on certain things. We're going to hear that Bela Bartok work, his string quartet number four. This is this is modern music, but written in 1928 in Budapest. One of six of Bartok's string quartets. We'll hear the very the fourth movement, fourth of five, the Allegretto Pizzicato performed here by the next ensemble. Thank you. 
by Bela Bartok. We've just heard String Quartet number four, the fourth movement, Allegro Pizzicato. Of course, you heard those pizzicato strings there. That's a performance by the next ensemble, and they do change personnel depending on what is being performed at the time, the particular venue and the particular pieces. Today, we're glad to have clarinetist Cindy Child with us. Cindy, thank you for coming and playing today. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. You know, it's really not fair that you have to think about when you breathe while everybody else can just breathe whenever they want, the string players. Yes, it's not, is it? <laughs> <laughs> One of the hazards of being a woodwind player, that good is. breath control. How do you build that up? Uh, boy, that is something that you have to work on. You have to learn about which muscles to use, and we have breathing exercises as wind players we do to build up being able to hold our breath and so forth. I just picture lots of swimming or something to get used to not breathing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming and playing us for today, for us today. This this Mozart, Mozart clarinet quintet. Uh, we're lucky that we have it because he did not write a lot for the clarinet. I think the clarinet was just kind of becoming a thing. Yes, it was. It, uh, composers prior to Mozart had used the clarinet in a more trumpet-like way, mm. and Mozart was attracted to the clarinet because it had it could play soft it was very lyrical and it had almost voice like qualities to the tone and he also loved the low register and the sound that we had down there and so he was able to feature the clarinet in the quintet um, in these lyrical ways and also you hear lots of change in registers and he uses this in such a wonderful way and, and that works fine with the modern clarinet, because I think it was written for a, an older kind of clarinet, but it still seems to work. Yes, it does. Um, it had been written for the basset horn, which had yeah. about four notes that were lower than what we have, but we've been able to make it work for this uh, version of clarinet, which is the lower A clarinet. Very nice. Well, I, I'd, I've heard a definition, a very well-known definition, that a string quartet should sound like a, a conversation between four intelligent people. You know, these sort of trade off the voicings and pe- people coming in and out. So when you come in and you're the soloist now, I mean, is this you barging into a conversation or how, how does it feel when you're the soloist with a string quartet? Um, I like to think of it as not a soloist, um, but as part, suddenly becoming number five in the mm. string quintet and that I'm just part of their conversation and you may notice in the movement that we played they introduce the theme and then I answer them and so I like to think of it as an intimate conversation with all five of us very nice Cindy Child, clarinetist with the next ensemble. Thank you so much. Good to talk to you. We're going to hear the conclusion the fourth movement of Mozart's clarinet quintet in A major
fourth movement of the clarinet quintet in A major by Mozart, a piece that sometimes is called the Stadler Quartet or Quintet because it was written for his friend Anton Stadler that I talked about, excellent clarinetist back in the day, 1790. Uh, we've talked clarinet. Let's talk cello for a minute with Austin Packer. Austin is the cellist of the group. I understand you're a master student at the U of U in cello performance. That's correct. So you have all your schoolwork, everything else you're doing, and you think, I'll perform in this other ensemble on the side. Yeah, why not? You know, I, I love performing, so I look for any opportunity I can to be able to share my talents and to improve my ability uh, in any way. So I, I love looking for all opportunities I can. So as you grew up playing with an orchestra in a cello section, then suddenly you find yourself in a quartet or a quintet. How does that, uh, do you like that feeling of, I'm the only guy on this part, it's all me? <laughs> yes, uh, it's a little bit more nerve-wracking, but um, I mean, as you grow as a musician, you want to be able to express yourself a little bit more and mm-hmm. rather than be one person among hundreds. Uh, so it's been a really fun opportunity to play Uh, in this quartet, as well as I'm a member of the Graduate String Quartet at the University of Utah, where we perform regularly as well. So you feel a slightly different vibe, I guess, between the more traditional education and performance you're doing and then what you're doing here with the next ensemble. You know, it's it's interesting because, yes, I I do feel a different vibe, but at the same time, we're still playing the same music. It's all, you know, it's that great piece by Mozart, and then we add some Philip Glass and Bartok in there. It's it's really fun, but it is exciting to play in different venues and and to just feel a little bit more relaxed. Nice. Well, thank you. Good to talk to you. Austin Packer, cellist of the group. We're going to hear one more piece. I think we can squeeze one more in during this hour with the next ensemble, a piece by American composer Martin Lauritsen. Originally, this was a choral piece. Now, sometimes things go the other way. Samuel Barber's Adagio turned into the choral Agnus Dei. Nimrod in the, the Enigma Variations by Elgar turned into the beautiful choral Lux Eterna. This is sort of the opposite journey where Martin Lauritsen's Monumisterium has been arranged by the director of the orchestra here, and we're going to hear this Monumisterium performed by the next ensemble.
Martin Lauritsen's Manu Mysterium live on Highway 89, performed in studio by the Next Ensemble of Ogden. Find performance information for them at nextensemble.org. Thank you so much to each of you for coming in. Beautiful, beautiful numbers. For those listening at home or if you've just caught part of the show, you'd like to hear the first part or share it, it's easy to do. All of our shows are archived online for free on-demand listening at byuradio.org slash highway89 and follow us on Twitter at BYUH89 for live show updates and special behind-the-scenes photos and video clips. Highway 89 is a production of BYU Broadcasting in Provo, Utah. Our recording engineer is Mark Waite. Our production assistant is Abby Vance. And the show's producer is Jackie Tataishi. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.